Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author, Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Amanda Giatissa. Amanda is the author of My Sweet Girl, which won the International Thriller Writers Award for Best First Novel, and you're invited. She grew up in Sri Lanka and currently lives in Portugal with her husband and two spoiled huskies. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. It's um, so exciting. Let's talk. <laughs> I just have to dig right in because I loved your book so much. And I'm a, I was a huge fan of your first two books. So this is really different, but equally mm -hmm. fabulous. So we're going to talk a lot about that. Um and I told Amanda that I'm I'm wearing my killer women sweater, which was a um a little Christmas present. So I'm, you know, got all the we got all the merch going. So tell our um listeners about Island Witch. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. Um, where to start? <laughs> so there are a series of attacks plaguing this small coastal village in colonial Ceylon, which is what Sri Lanka was called back in the colonial times. And well, it isn't long before the villagers begin to turn on and suspect the local demon priest. His daughter, Amara, who is our main character in the story, she's of course convinced of her father's innocence and she's trying desperately to clear his name. Except she's been having these airy dreams that have been predi predicting the attacks. And she kind of she can't shake this feeling that it's all connected to this one day where she woke up dazed and confused to her mother's cries that no one can find out about this. So <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So this is I, I was trying to even like find something comparable, but it is so um well, first of all, I love the fact that that it's it feels very much like Sri Lanka. Like it's a whole new world for us. Um, the, the village, the coastal town, the, the, you know, the, like you said, the demon priest, like that is not something that obviously, I mean, we have a lot of experience with in our, in our generation, yeah, nor of sort of in, in America. So, um, tell us like, you know, I know you said in the acknowledgements that this was a hard book to write. Some books just write themselves and this was a tough one. Tell us a little bit about like, where did the idea come from? Is this something, are there stories in here that are from your growing up or what where did this come from mm -hmm. yeah so well for me of course it's always fun to bring in elements of like my Sri Lankan culture into yes. the stories that I say I think they always manage to find ways I always try to find ways to sneak it in regardless of sort of the setting and the time period but this was of course like hard to escape because it's like bang on set in Sri Lanka right yes. um the story itself is actually a reimagining of an origin story, really, of this very, very popular ghost, our most famous ghost, if you okay. will, called Rohini. She is Sri Lanka's sort of quintessential woman in white. I think every culture has some version of this story of this woman, you know, dressed in white, 
stopping people as they're traveling or, or, or targeting men usually or travelers or Sri Lanka. so Sri Lanka has this story it's we call her Mohini and it was like my favorite story to tell growing up right it's you know like my I still remember my cousins and I we would like huddle around a candle and like tell these ghost stories and Mohini was my story that was a story I would always tell of this um, you know, woman who would flag down um, solo travelers, <laughs> you know, as they were either walking or like driving by and ask them for help. And she'd be holding a baby. Um, so people would feel inclined to stop and help her. And, you know, there are so many endings to this story, right? Some people say that like she would bite their head off. Some people say <laughs> that she'd get into the car and like the car would be found crashed like a few days later. Um, you know, there, there are so many different endings, but it always really intrigued me because beyond this story of a woman dressed in white and holding a child, we really didn't know much else. Everything else was, was what we would all just, you know, say to scare ourselves. Um, right. <laughs> so I thought that that would be really fun um, kind of to talk about and give a voice to. But I also, um, something that has always really intrigued me were sort of these ideas of exorcisms and sort of demons, we call them yaku, gods, yeah. we call them devio. And, and they're so, for me, it's so interesting because the lens in which we see these spirits and entities is so different from what we see in like its portrayal in the West, right? Yeah. Um, right. Even like, like even the idea of an exorcism, uh, and I grew up, so I was like a big fan, right, of um, like stories surrounding exorcisms and demons. And I, I watch a lot of horror movies. I read a lot of books in that in that space. Um, but it was interesting to me how different it is um, the way, and I say is, because we still see demons and exorcisms and things carried out like this, very, very similar to the way they are spoken about in the book. Um, it still kind of happens to this day. Uh, so <laughs> so it was very interesting for me to talk about these things and kind of like put them out there so that maybe yeah. other people could also learn a little bit about my culture and, and the way it works. I mean, I thought it was, it is really, it's, you know, it's of course Buddhism and Hinduism. It's, and then, and then in the book, of course, the British are coming. So you've got, or there. So you've got the Christianity, <laughs> sort of the pull between those religions and I, I love the fact that it's like, yes, we treat them as though, like, just like horrors, but it seems like the first scene of the book is her father, who is the demon priest, performing mm -hmm. an exorcism, and it seems like, it does seem like a very much a part of the culture, like, you know, that you would not, that it's not this, like, totally weird, paranormal, only in a horror movie kind of thing, um, mm -hmm. so I thought that was fabulous. I know, tell us about the sort of the demon priest, because that's an unusual thing for us too. And mm -hmm. are there people that perform exorcisms and why would like, when would we, why would we do that? What's happening? Is it, is it just badly behaved children? Because I have a couple that we could exercise too. <laughs> like anyone performing an exorcism, someone's got to come perform them on my dogs because they're yeah. just, <laughs> right. they act like they're possessed. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's interesting because there are, there are sort of like two branches of it. And I discuss this a little bit in the books as well. We have um, kapuas and katadias and, and sort of um, so almost there are those that deal with like the devio the gods essentially seeking out blessings so you know 
culturally, we are very, I think, superstitious, right? Um, and we believe in like all very and very spiritual also. Yeah. Right. So on on the first day of every month, most households they would make milk rice, for example, like rice made made with coconut milk, because it was it's considered to be good luck. Or before you move into a new house, you would call your kapua who deals with sort of the gods of the good spirits. You call them to come in and um, maybe they'll cut some lime and they'll bless your house. Um, yeah. Sometimes they'll do like a check to see if there are any bad spirits sort mm -hmm. of lurking around within um, the walls. I love house. that. I absolutely uh, love that. I mean, that's... And, and these are things, I mean, they're done yeah. to this day. Like every most... Sinhalese like more the more traditional Sinhalese families would have their family like Kapua who would come and help you out yeah. um, you know if you're going through a bad time they might tell you hey wear this uh talisman around yeah. your neck um you know and and these are very normal things that happen um the exorcisms per se yeah. I mean <laughs> less as we I guess, but but still very much. I mean, I was in um, down the coast uh, just maybe about a year ago, and um, the the place that we were staying at, the little Airbnb, like of people who were working there, were having this big conversation. They're like, "Are you going for it? Are you going for it?" There's a tovil, which is an exorcism. There's a tovil happening, um, you know, just a little way down. Um, I did not go for it, uh, sadly, uh, but my husband did. And <laughs> That's like, awesome. Yeah, it's just the same as it was um, carried out so many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there was a book actually that I referred uh, referenced pretty heavily when I was writing um, Island Witch, and it was called on Demo Demonology and Witchcraft in Ceylon. It was written in 1860, and uh, wow. it outlined a lot of these practices and things that were carried carried out, and um, it's pretty much still carried out in almost exactly the same way to this day. I love that. Well, and I love the idea that you're talking, I mean, it's, yes, it's superstition, but it's, I think to your point, it's really, it's a spirituality. It's a, it's an mm -hmm. acknowledgement of a higher power. And I, mm -hmm. I actually love that. Like, you know, we steal a lot of those things from like Native Americans, like saging the house when you move in, or mm -hmm. if you've gone through something hard and that kind of thing. And I think, you know, it, I appreciate the fact that you're saying you're sort of acknowledging it's not just us right there is something and you can ask for blessings or give give thanks to things that are you know working in the world and I think that makes the culture so rich and I, I sort of wish and we have some of that and also you can you know we do we pull it from other places but I love I love the idea of that because I think mm -hmm. it's um it just leaves much more space for other entities right that we're not just like you know, and I don't know what I believe, but it, but I definitely believe there's more out there than just like us, you know what I mean? And I don't think it has to be one God, one, you know, I don't know. So um, well, I love that. And, and it's interesting because I think Sri Lanka, especially, there are a few. So, so we have obviously like a big Buddhist population, but there's also yes. a lot of Hinduism and the right. two religions tend to be quite entwined. We also have Christianity, mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because I think within sort of um, the country, religion and culture are meshed in a really interesting mm -hmm. way. So you might not be 
Buddhist or you might not be Hindu, but you might still follow a lot of this or, you know, um, get your horoscope read or, yeah. um, you know, which is different from the way it's read in, in the West. But yes. um, you know, all these other things that you do, which is, it sort of supersedes religion. It's just yeah. like, just an understanding of like, hey, this is the way we are, which is, has always right. been so fascinating to me. Yes. And I love the idea, right, that you don't have to be any of those things to participate in pieces mm-hmm. of all of them. Um, I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. And, you know, we have to talk about sort of the women factor. So one of the things, of course, because we're killer women. And one of the things I love about this is, first of all, I love your acknowledgments. So you are like, this is dedicated to all the strong women that you were raised by, but then all the women who are there who support one another. I got shivers when I read that. It was so fabulous. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, because here we're talking about a time where you know, these women, you know, the families are trying to be in favor with the British, right? Because the British are, you know, bringing in and, and they're, they're promoting people and giving them land. And so you, of course, you know, lots of families are, are wanting to be participate with that. But then also it means, I, you know, losing some of their culture or giving up um, some part of their heritage because the British are, they weren't known, obviously, for being super appreciative of other people's ways right they came in and they were like this is how we do things like most colonial societies right yeah yeah so um but so so the women you know this is a you know in terms of the time in history where women didn't have very much power and the time you know in in this country where even the even the natives didn't have as much power as maybe the incoming colonials. I'd like to talk about the the way that this woman in white you've imagined mm-hmm. is really does seek out some sort of like justice for people who are sort of you know under well you know suppressed you know repressed all the things. So that was so fun. So talk to us about like where that came from. Is that in your mind, has the woman in white sort of always represented sort of the, a female power versus I like think, a trickster? I, it's easy, right? I, I feel like in history, we've always taken these sort of like female entities and, and we've, we've just like come up with these stories for them, right? And, and like it's always a woman, right? <laughs> and it's, right? it's always like... I, like women were like scapegoated in a lot of situations without actually anyone yeah. like kind of trying to find out like why the story like why did it go that way like why is there a woman holding a baby like like what is that act of desperation right for a woman right. to baby? like what does she gain from it why is she there right who drove her there right and, right. and I think that's the that's the question that we we don't ask often enough um you know, and, and I feel like it's so easy for women, especially to be vilified throughout history. Like you hear these stories of these like terrible, angry women or these terrible, cruel, wicked women. Um, and we just don't know how they got there. Like, why are they wicked? Why are they called these names? Why are they the scapegoat? Um, and, and so for me, that's always something that um, really sort of dry it, it's something that I've always been curious about it's something that's really driven me in a story to just kind of look beyond and be like okay like there's a evil spirit who's a woman or there's like the evil stepmother or there's like yeah. wicked like why why are they wicked like why are we just you know like like the wicked witch of the west I'm like why was she wicked right like, what happened to her like a 
someone killed her sister and took her sister's shoes and she just wanted them like why are we calling why, why are we so quick to jump to that conclusion and why has that conclusion not been questioned um yeah. right so we were all grew up sort of blindly following these stories and yeah it's, it's one of the things that i i like to um think about late into the night <laughs> yeah exactly but it is interesting because i think if you really dissect those right i mean it's like why women still why we're still so hard on one another it is a little it's a manipulation of a system to make mm -hmm. you know sort of to pit us against each other it's like the idea of working mothers versus stay-at-home mothers like mm -hmm. if we were if it was just women talking we would know that that's not an easy decision on either side right it's not mm -hmm. easy to stay at home with those babies it's not easy or in a bigger sense, to decide not to have children versus to have children, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is another thing women are judged for. Does anybody judge the men for not staying at home with their children or for not having right. babies? No, of course not. Because, but is this? It's a system that is set up for us to fail, no matter sort of what decision we make, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of can't, as a woman, you kind of can't get it right. So you can imagine that that pushes women like these these spirits these demons these you know so i mean medusa the sorcerers the sorceresses mm -hmm. all of them sort of you can imagine them being pushed to the point where the only recourse was to totally lose their shit right mm -hmm. to go mm -hmm. berserk yeah and like and it's sometimes you feel like all power to them right like why not <laughs> exactly if you can't work with the system you got to work against it <laughs> I I totally I totally agree. Now you talked in your acknowledgments about this book being different to write, um, mm -hmm. and I think it's always interesting because I you know I totally appreciate that. Not that any book is really easy easy, but some of them come in a much more sort of like a bigger wave or more fluently or something. So tell us about the process of writing this. When did you decide you were going to do it, and how did it? How is it different? Yeah, um, I mean, kudos to my editor, Jen Monroe at Berkeley. Um, I think we were having a chat and I was going to write a totally different book, right? I had outlined it and I had, I think, already started. I had written a couple of chapters. I was I was all geared up to write this other book. And, you know, so we were having, we were on a call um, and uh, so we were just discussing the plot of this other book and just at the end as a throwaway I was like hey Jen you know I've been kicking around this idea for a really long time um, and I have like this idea took root many many years ago mm -hmm. and I wrote an outline and then I don't know I think I just wasn't in that emotional place to write the book so I just had the outline and I set it aside um, and then I think maybe two or three days before this call I just pulled it out and I was like hey this looks like fun like I think I could do this now um and so just like as a throwaway at the end of the call I was like hey you know I had this idea um you know I'm calling it Island Witch but like this is what it's about and she was like you know I think that's the one I think that's the one please like can you send me like a full out like can, can we talk more about that and um yeah so that's sort of where it it took hold and um the book is of course heavy right it's it's uh I, I'm I was used to writing obviously more contemporary funny um light-hearted I mean murder but but still still a little bit more 
um more, like humorous right um yeah more uh, more like just surfacely twisty not so many deep deep issues there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of but not in a like I didn't ever feel like oh god it's too dark I can't it's so compulsive because you want to understand what's happening to her you want to understand what's happening to the people that are being attacked I didn't feel like I was so I don't I want to make sure people don't think it's it's not heavy, heavy, but it's, mm-hmm. yeah. And the atmosphere is, the jungle yeah. is so, yeah, it's it's layers of stuff that's really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, the historical setting on its own just sets it, it makes it different. And then there's, I think, a lot more of these like gothic layers, right? Um, which is different from like your faster paced contemporary thriller type things. And, and also it was bringing in these supernatural elements, right. which weren't there in in the previous books so it was a lot of that and um I mean I did also write a lot of the book during a pretty tough time um just in the country so I was living in Sri Lanka it was the um there was like a massive political and economic crisis happening we were all protesting we were going out onto the streets um there were these rolling power cuts so you know, um, I would, I remember like I would start writing and I would just pray that my laptop battery didn't die um, right. because I know I'm charging it up because there were like eight hours without power sometimes. Um, right. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot. So I think I was definitely feeling a lot yeah. of feeling. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, um, I mean, writing is the outlet, right? For me. Yeah. So a lot of that rage and that frustration did get channeled into the books so you know if people ask me that like are you really like are you that I'm not not normally I'm not normally so <laughs> <pretty."> <laughs> you're like you look so normal but wow <laughs> well and I love the is it Sonali that's in there the uh Sino, what, how do we say it Sinhalese the language Sinhalese yeah Sinhalese okay yeah I saw that's another beautiful thing because I think just to see um the another you know, language in the book and have it just to get to look at the way the words look. And it's really, that was really neat. I mean, I, a lot of the words I'm like, okay, I don't know how I'm pronouncing this because I'm just going to make it up in my head, but I love seeing, um, you know, I love seeing those words on the page and, and feeling like you are there. I think that was a beautiful addition versus just giving it to us in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was a big deal for me. I'm, of course, like I, I'm Sri Lankan. I grew up in Sri Lanka. I speak yeah. Sinhalese, uh, and there's so much. And I know that a lot of it is is for me, right? Because uh, sometimes the the language, like it, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't work the same way. If I were to just give it sort of almost flat out in English in my head when this when the scenarios are playing out, and I think especially things like um so she calls her mom amma and her yeah. father tata which is what you know we would call our parents in sri yeah. lanka and you know being able to just even include those everyday words and those everyday colloquialisms in um it, it really mattered a lot to me and i think it really just helped the story be more authentic um yeah i mean definitely if it, that's a, i think that is one of the things that we the gift of you know people you know like being in a an author from Sri Lanka that you can give to us that I couldn't write this book, right? I mean, I could have like done the research and written it, but to have the sort of the authenticity of your growing up in Sri Lanka is experience I will never have. And that's one of the things that's my favorite about reading, you know, all sorts of books, right? Is the idea that you get to learn, you get to be somebody else for a little bit, which so 
for some time for these pages i am a you know sri lankan girl and that is obviously not my experience which i loved so i think you do a beautiful job of that and i love the like the, the witch woman with the milky eyes there's all these fabulous and her you know her old friend niha and then a new friend she meets bob bob I mean, Bagya. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's just like there's so many aspects of it. And being, but then there's also this universality, right? We've all felt from mm -hmm. our parents that distance or you know, that our mother wants something from us that we can't be for her. And mm -hmm. there's that push pull of, you know, generations and the way mm -hmm. she feels, her mother feels from her parents. Like it's just, it's, it's a really, I think what it's so fabulous when you can read a book that is so different from your own experience and feel those commonalities too oh, so that you. I I love I love 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 mm -hmm. um so I am a little curious like you know why is it I think these ideas sort of so a lot of this is also about survival right it's survival as a woman it's it's learning you know surviving betrayals I mean in some point some cases it's physical survival but you know so why what do you think why do these themes appeal so much to us you know as a writer what you know is it a way of sort of reminding ourselves that we can survive difficult situations or, you know, what, what do you think? Why do we do this? Why do we do this crazy thing? Why do we do this crazy thing? Why do we do it to ourselves? <laughs> Why do we do it to others? Uh, no, I, I think, well, it just as, I think there is, a, and, and you spoke about universality, which is, I, I think where this kind of comes from, right? Is that at the end of the day, we've all felt like, the underdog at some point, right? And we've all felt excluded and perhaps othered in some way. And I feel like those are very universal feelings, regardless of, you know, whether you're a 18 year old girl trying to make it in a little coastal village overruled by the British in Ceylon, or, you know, just a woman in today's day and age trying to carve your place out in the world and, and find out who you are. And, you know, I, I think this like push pull of societal norms, um, it hasn't changed really like at its core, like we're all still trying to live up to some, I don't know, expectation. We didn't, none of us know what that, like what that final point even is. Like none of us know what, uh, how, how do we verbalize um, being, I think maybe successful or happy or like we don't know like we, we don't know what we're aspiring to we just know we're aspiring to something right. and um, I think a lot of us can just relate to that as as writers and as readers right yes and I think it's true for men too like I think you know there I mean I said it's a very I mean, obviously I think as women it's natural for us to write about women but obviously this it's universal universal it doesn't matter if you're you know oh yeah male you know male um non-binary whatever it's the same mm -hmm. it's those same experiences of being like you said left out and and so much of that as she and understands is like niha who is her old friend and they've become a little distance niha wasn't necessarily excluding her in the way she felt excluded so much of this we realize is really happening inside our own heads right yeah, um and they both had they sort of both had the sensation that they were being sort of excluded by the other so it was i think that was a wonderful thing and niha's um, interpretation of you know of the, her belief it, her christian sort of the way she takes on christianity is another thing it's like she felt like um uh amara was sort of anti-christianity and it's like every every group feels that sometimes 
Like they're being mm-hmm. sort of diminished or like you said, they're the underdog. So I thought that was fabulous. Um, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to say, I looked at your, um, an old bio of you and it said that you owned a bunch of cookie stores and I don't know why <laughs> this tickled me, but I was like, I kind of have to ask about the cookie stores. oh man it just started okay so it's like people look at me really expectantly when when I say that like my husband's the baker right like I am not the 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 person that's like very particularly well versed in the cooking baking department me neither but Um, I love that (laughs) so um it actually yeah it was just a fun thing um that we did like I was craving you know we just moved back to Sri Lanka and I was craving these like chewy cookies that you that were easily available like in the U.S. or the U.K. we were in the UK we just moved back to Sri Lanka and um, there weren't any stores selling it and um, and so he made them like so he you know did a bit of research and like he made these cookies for me I'm like they're so good like they're so good you should sell them and he's like hey there are no cookie stores here do you want to give it a try and I'm like oh yeah why not it'll be like a fun little hobby for us to do like we had some like we were in our 20s like you know when you're in a, like right. early 20s you think like oh yeah everything's fine I can do it <laughs> in stage of our lives right um yeah and it was just a, a lot more successful <laughs> than we anticipated so it was I um, love that yeah I I love that cookies anymore <laughs> you can't it ruined no, cookies for no, you. It ruined it for, no it's it's not ruined I mean I'll occasionally like eat a cookie and I'll be like damn these are good but um it's just I ate so many cookies right that like first maybe two years of running the store and like I would be at because we'd go in and like we'd be at the store and so then you're just like eating and eating and right eating. yeah <laughs> I had a yeah. job as a frozen yogurt this like person at a frozen yogurt shop one summer and that's the same thing I like I do not I frozen yogurt does not appeal to me anymore I must have eaten like my body weight in frozen yogurt that summer so I think that's yeah I get that well that was so funny because I was like again it's like you said it's like people they look at you you're like gorgeous and you know funny and sweet and all of a sudden they're like wait you wrote this book and then and then on the same hand you're the cookie baker or you're not the baker but you had a cookie store so I just think I love that we are all a collection of contradictions right Mm -hmm. okay so can you tell us any hint of what you're working on now that don't you hate that you're like I'm just I'm just gonna like enjoy the success <laughs> of this new book which is absolutely fabulous and now you want to know what's next um I don't know I mean I I am working on I am working on something but okay. I'm at that stage where I'm working on something where everything's just like mush and everything just um feels horrible and sounds horrible and, and oh yeah you I know you know that I, stage yes <laughs> Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I know it so well. I think I'm actually kind of there now too. Um, I get that. So Mm -hmm. it's too soon. And I know there'll be another fabulous Amanda Dietissa book coming. But um, but in the meantime, um, this is, I want them to make this into a movie. I'm sure you do too. But I think it would be, I know, wouldn't that be so fun to get to see what they did with the special effects? Plus I look, look at her. She is gorgeous. She's oh, that fabulous. was I. I am obsessed with the cover. Like, not yes. not gonna lie, I um need to get it blown up and like I need to hang it on my wall. Like, I I love it. I I keep staring at it. It's just it's yeah. so beautiful. And I love you know I love the fact that 
you can, you know, you read about her, you know, what she's, her sarong and the top she's wearing, like all of it feels very authentic to the way the clothes are described in the book, which I thought was mm-hmm. fabulous. Because sometimes you see a book cover and think, that's not what she was wearing. That's not how I picture her, right? And in this case, yeah. like, it is totally how I picture her. I mean, She's... a huge thank you to the art team at Berkeley, um, who they really honestly team. went above and beyond. Um, I I sent them uh, like photos, and and we actually had so much back and forth on what would be considered authentic um, and like yeah. historically accurate, and and we just uh, they really paid a lot of attention to de- that detail, which yes. I appreciate so much because that was my big fear as well, right? They're like, oh my god, are they going to just put her in? And 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 I guess it's it's interesting because Sri Lankan culture and the way we dress is distinct from sort of like Indian culture and that's what yeah. it's is actually seen. So I remember like having to explain like no she's she's Sinhalese she wouldn't be having like you know a bindi or she wouldn't have uh, yes yes a lot of like those headdress sort of jewelry and there's a, a lot and and they really just took everything on board and ran with it and like wow it it looks so I know. Beautiful. And I do think, you know, I hate that we judge books by the covers, but we totally do. And I do feel like this is one that's going to just stand out beautifully. Um, if, you, if you're listening to us and you can't see it, go and um, look at Island Witch um, and Jayatissa, J-A-Y-A-T-I-S-S-A, in case mm-hmm. that's another that's right. thing that's in your brain hard to um, hard to see. But you'll find her if you search Island Witch and, and, and My Sweet Girl and You're Invited. They're all really fun, really different books. So Amanda... So excited for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited and a little nervous, not going to lie. Of course. <laughs> of course. That is all part of it. That is absolutely all part of it. But I really think people are going to love it. And I have all these. This is what I do when I love a book is I find all these little um, moments that I, I just thought. So and I did quote it the like very beginning, as you heard, for my Monday quote of the week. So if you missed that, go back and listen because you'll get a, a flavor for for the book and for Amanda's writing, which is fabulous. So this was so fun. Oh yeah, I had such a good time. Thank you. I'm um, I mean that like pre 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 publication jitters period. So this was this was a lot of fun. Totally helped me ease into it. Oh, I know <laughs> so. you're gonna be yeah, you're gonna be great. I know what you mean though. It's of course like it, there's the first reviews and uh, all the insanity of of all the excitement, but then one little thing can really sort of just make you feel derailed but I I really I'm a huge fan I love this book I think everyone I think it's going to be really well received and um if you're not if you don't if you haven't heard of Amanda and you haven't picked up Island Witch you got to go get it right now it's really really a fun read especially I think I think I really enjoyed it too because it's like minus 40 degrees here and so she's like running through the jungle in like a skirt and a you know her little white blouse and I'm like oh it sounds so lovely (laughs) even though she's running from a demon which doesn't sound quite as as appealing (laughs) all right well listen Amanda thank you so much for joining us everybody this was killer women with Amanda Jayatissa thank you for having me (laughs) thank you until next time